Our second reading this morning is from John chapter 21. I'm going to read uh, verses 15 through the end of the chapter. Hear the word of God. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted But when you were old, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers and sisters that This disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is it to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you have the words of life and we ask that you would speak to us today. Amen. Coming to the end of a well-written novel can be a bittersweet experience. You've fallen in love with the characters, you've been engrossed in their lives and their unfolding story, you've been flipping through the pages to learn how things are going to work out, and then, as always happens, the book comes to a close. Many times we want to read the further adventures of our favorite characters, J.K. Rowling figured this out in her Harry Potter series. Once she had created Harry and Hermione and the Weasleys and Hagrid, she spun the story out for eight fat novels, more than 4,000 pages, 8.4 million words. And some of you, raise your hand, have read all of those words. 
8.4 million words. So this morning we've come to the end of the Gospel of John, the last of the four Gospels in the New Testament, the Gospel that was written by the last surviving member of the original twelve. But unlike Harry Potter, the story of Jesus does go on because his story is the story of the church. It's the story of you and me, the story of people who have placed their faith in Christ and found new life in his name. Those of you who have been following along carefully might have noticed that it seems like the gospel of John ends one chapter earlier. At the conclusion of chapter 20, John has just told the story of the resurrection. He told the story of the appearance of Jesus on Easter day in a locked room full of the gathered disciples minus Thomas. And then he tells the story of the next Sunday, the next Sunday after Easter, when again Jesus appears in this locked room. He appears to the disciples and this time Thomas is also present. Jesus says to Thomas with a nod toward us, who would come to follow him in later generations, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Raise your hand if you're one of those blessed. You've not seen, but you've believed. That's us, Jesus speaking to us down through the centuries. And then John adds this very peculiar editorial footnote, which really sounds like a summation or a conclusion to the gospel. It appears in verses 30 and 31 of chapter 20, where John writes, quote, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You would think the gospel would end there. That sentence is John's purpose statement for his gospel. He was Jesus' disciple for three years. Jesus apparently loved John in a special way. John saw Jesus' entire ministry. He saw him preach. He saw him heal. He was with him constantly as as he taught. And then he saw Jesus crucified and buried and raised from the dead in a body that was somehow the same. It still had the nail marks in its hands, but yet it was different because he could appear in a locked room without opening the door. As the church spread out and grew, John was the founder and the leader of a number of churches in what is today called Turkey. He was what we might call a bishop. Not responsible for just one church, but for a number of churches in a region. In the end, he was exiled by the Roman government to the Isle of Patmos off the coast of Turkey where he wrote his gospel and he also wrote the book of Revelation A letter which is addressed to the ten churches in his bishopric or in his diocese. The Gospel of John, which we have just finished reading, was written somewhere between 90 and 100 A.D., which means that John was a very old man when, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he penned these words that we have been studying so closely. During his life, John would have seen tens of thousands of people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. He would have seen people come to faith, live their whole lives, and died as Christians. He would have seen the church spread to the limits of the known world. 
Spain in the west and India to the east. And I believe that as an old saint, as a man who has been shaped and tempered by the passing of long decades, John sat down to write his gospel with a wisdom that only comes with years. I remember Dolores Turner, one of the dear saints of this church. I remember Dolores saying to me many, many times, Dan, the good Lord is not done with me yet. He's still teaching me things. Some of the things that seem so important to us when we are in our 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s seem less urgent when we are in our 80s or our 90s. And some of the things from our youth that we thought long forgotten come roaring back to us as our days draw to a close. The Gospel of John is the gospel of an old saint. Of a man who has seen it all, the miracles, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the persecution, the spread of the gospels. And through it all, he knew that he was, as he so often calls himself in this gospel, the disciple whom Jesus loved. What a perfect confession of faith. Think of it. Imagine if the way that I were to introduce myself were high. I'm Dan Morrison. I am the pastor whom Jesus loves. When we find our identity in the love of Christ, when we find our identity in the man who died for us, it makes everything different. I've heard Charlene Crawford, our minister of celebration, Say it more than once and maybe she said it to you. I've heard her say something like this. When I was growing up, I knew that God loves everyone. But I was sure that I was his favorite child. And you know what? She's right. Charlene Crawford, the sister whom Jesus loves. That's how we need to think about ourselves in relationship to God. We need to think of ourselves as that person whom Jesus specially loves. In John 15, 13, we hear Jesus say, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And that is what he did for you. I think John thought about that. As an old man waiting out, his final days on the Isle of Patmos, I think he was thinking about this love that Jesus had for him and for his people, this good shepherd who loved his sheep in this special way, even at the cost of his own life. So this morning we come to the end of John chapter 21. Brother Stephen Clark preached the first part of this chapter last Sunday. Jesus brings the casserole and feeds his hungry disciples on the seashore after their hard night of fruitless fishing. This entire chapter, the entire chapter 21 of the Gospel of John, reads like an epilogue. We have followed along the story of Jesus in this Gospel from its soaring prologue, where John sings, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John skips over, I don't know if you notice this, he skips over the birth narrative. He cuts right to the story of John the baptizer out there in the wilderness who sees Jesus afar and says, Look! It's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We see Jesus call His disciples ordinary working people, fishermen and tax collectors. He calls both men and women who gather around Him to learn from Him. And we see His first miracle. Making wine out of water at a wedding, the celebration of the covenantal Christ-reflecting love that exists between a man and a woman. And when Jesus got down to the business of proclaiming His good news, we hear it loud and clear in John 3.16 and 17, where He says to Nicodemus, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. We saw Jesus reach out to a Samaritan woman, A woman whose soul was so thirsty for love that she tried to find it in a string of broken relationships. Jesus tells her that what she's really longing for is living water. Water that will satisfy her deep thirst. Water that will bubble up in her soul forever. And then he tells her that he is that water. We saw Jesus heal the hopelessly sick. We saw Jesus feel in, uh, feed enormous crowds. And then in John 10, 11, we hear him say, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And we see him do just that. Without a word of protest, we see him lay down his life for us. The gospel of John is a love story. The story of God's love for you, a relentless love, a sacrificial love, a love in deed, not just in word. And that story comes to its culmination in the resurrection when the power of God's love conquers death, even death itself. The Gospel of John is a beautiful love story and chapter 21 is its epilogue. The heated drama of the story is over. The fearful conflict is resolved. God won. The church is born. Lives are transformed as we look forward to the consummation of God's kingdom. And then John, looking back as an old man over the long decades, remembers two stories that just have to be told. Oh, he could tell more stories about Jesus than J.K. Rowling could tell about Harry Potter. More than all of the books in the world could contain, he has told us. But two little stories stick in his mind. This old saint, this disciple whom Jesus loved, so near the day when he would again see Jesus face to face. Two little stories from the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Of course Peter loves Jesus. Bold and impetuous Peter, if ever there were a lover, it was Peter. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter says, then feed my lambs. 
Twice and three times Jesus asks the same question, Peter, do you love me? And each time Peter assures Jesus that he does, and each time Jesus says, feed my sheep. To love Jesus is to do what Jesus asks. Loving God isn't just having some warm feelings in your heart. Loving God means doing what God asks you to do. Do you love me? Jesus asks. Then do what I've asked you to do. Jesus then prophesies the kind of death that Peter would face. Like Jesus, Peter was crucified. Church tradition tells us that he was crucified upside down because he thought that he wasn't worthy to be executed in the same manner that his Lord had been executed. Which reminds me of a story from Luke chapter 5, which has a curious parallel to the story that Stephen Clark preached Last Sunday, the story of Jesus telling the disciples to let down their net on the other side of the boat after a night of fruitless fishing. And when they pull up the net, there were 153 large, was 153, right? 153 large fish. In Luke chapter 5, we see Jesus again giving fishing advice. Jesus has been preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Simon Peter, not yet a disciple, is in his fishing boat and he's been overhearing this sermon. And when the sermon is finished, Jesus says to Peter, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Peter says, Master, we've been fishing all night and we took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Exactly parallel to what we see in John 21. Verse 6 of Luke 5 tells us, when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking again, exactly as in John 21. When Simon Peter saw this impossibly large load of fish, his response is to fall down at the knees of Jesus and say, depart from me, For I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter had a sensitivity to the divine. It was Peter who first declared that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. There was something in Peter's spirit which allowed him to see the divinity and the holiness of Jesus. If our spirits are attuned to the holiness of God, it will drive us to our knees. To be in the presence of a holy God is a fearful experience. There is no place for pride or self-sufficiency in the face of Almighty God. The only rational response to His presence is to fall on our face and worship Him. Which is what Peter does. Our perception of the holiness of God will cause us to be aware of our own sinfulness. Which is why so many people stiff-arm God or reject the truth about God because they cannot endure the sight of the exposure of their own sinfulness. Notice that 
Jesus doesn't say to Peter, Oh, Peter, you are such a filthy sinner. How can you be so miserable? Jesus doesn't say anything about Peter's sin. But Jesus' very presence, his very being, his very purity and holiness throw Peter's sinfulness into a blinding light. And so Peter has to ask Jesus to leave. But Jesus has a different plan for those to whom he has revealed his holiness. In John 21, 19, Jesus says to Peter, even after he's told him that crucifixion lay in store for him, Jesus says to Peter, follow me. There is a cost to following Jesus. For Peter, that cost meant martyrdom. All of us who follow Jesus must follow Jesus at the cost of dying to ourselves. Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is not I who live any longer, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Romans 6, 6 says, our old self was crucified with Christ in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. To follow Christ, we have to own up to and repent of our sin. To follow Christ, we have to abandon pride and self-will. To follow Christ, we have to leave this world And the patterns of this world behind. But whatever we are called to sacrifice as we follow Christ, the Apostle Paul assures us in Romans 18.8 or 8.18, the sufferings of this present world are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And then Peter asked Jesus, Huh, what about John? Jesus, you've just told me that I'm going to have to be crucified to suffer a martyr's death. What about John? It's kind of like the child who's been told by his parents to take out the garbage. And he asks, what about my sister? What does she have to do? And Jesus offers a gentle rebuke. If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You, follow me. Each of our callings is unique. Every person who has been called to follow Christ has received a calling to a specific life. That life will have both trials and it will have blessings. And God in his providence has ordered all of those things. And so it makes no sense for us to second guess God or to think that he's unfair because we have trials in our lives. Peter had a hard path To walk, I do not envy him his trials. May I be delivered from martyrdom. But the glory that Peter experienced and the rewards that he received more than compensated for his suffering. And never for a moment did he look back and wish that he had lived a different life. Life has hardships. 
But whatever life we are called to, we know that the sufferings of this present age are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This morning we gather to celebrate the Lord's Supper. This is our memorial, remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And I encourage you that as you take the bread and drink the cup, that you allow those simple actions to be your confession of faith in Christ. As you eat the bread, recognize that the flesh of Christ had to be crucified to pay for your sins. Eat that bread and receive Christ's atoning sacrifice. And as you drink the cup, recognize that the blood of Christ was poured out to pay for your sins. Drink that cup and receive Christ's atoning sacrifice. And why do we do this? Because though we are sinful and unworthy people, Jesus, who loves us more than we understand yet, says to us, come and follow me. May we respond to his invitation in faith. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we honor you and we worship you this day and we thank you for these words of scripture. We pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would impress them upon our hearts and allow us to be a new and a different people because of what you said to us today. These favors we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.